This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Small Biz America. The brain. Rarely when we speak the phrase asset management does the idea of philanthropic purpose instantly come to mind. While there's been a vibrant movement to change all that for some time, back in the 1990s, Woody Tash pioneered the integration of asset management and philanthropic purpose when he served as treasurer of the Jesse Smith Noise Foundation and as the founding chairman of the Community Development Venture Capital Alliance. For 10 years through 2008, Woody was chairman of the Investors Circle. This is a target of angel investors, family offices, and special purpose funds and foundations that have invested $133 million in 200 early-stage, sustainable-promoting ventures and venture funds. All of this since 1992. Woody's also the author of Inquiries into the Nature of Slow Money, Investing as if Food, Farms, and Fertility Mattered, published by Chelsea Green. Today, he's running the Slow Money Alliance. The organization is furthering the mission of leading us on a path towards creating a financial system that serves people and place as much as it serves industry sectors and markets. Joining us on the line from somewhere in the mountains north of New Mexico is Woody Tash. He's the founder of Slow Money Alliance. Woody, welcome. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Take us back, if you would, an early chapter of your life. You're in the world of investing. You're a venture capitalist. You're deep in the buy high, sorry, buy low, sell high paradigm. I'm imagining a point. Sometimes I buy high and <laughs> low. You know, it does happen. Again. Goes with the territory. I'm imagining some kind of point. This is called a seismic shift in uh, the way you think about markets and economies. What did you see, and how did it change everything? Oh dear, I don't know if I can point to one one event. It's really been a steady process over the last 30 years. Uh, and, you know, at the risk of dating myself, uh, which is a risk I guess I I'm about to... Uh, You're entitled double, to take it. ...double yeah. straight into here. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, in the late 60s and early 70s, a lot of stuff happened, and people who were just coming of age, you know, I was in college then, and, um, you know, a few minor things happened, leaving out all the political unrest and all those things. But really, what the event I'm going back to is the first time we saw the picture of the Earth rising over the moon, oh, yeah. which was, you know, uh, I think we're allowed to call that mind-blowing, I mean, without, without uh, using too much of the vernacular of that day. And, uh, you know, it was an amazing time to be alive and, and wonder for a second whether everything was going to be different going forward. And, of course, what we found out was everything wasn't different. Uh, it was different for a little bit. Um, then, not too long thereafter, E.F. Schumacher wrote Small is Beautiful, which, again, you know, there's a temptation especially in our impatient society, to say, oh, yeah, we did that. That was 40 years ago, and there was some good stuff in that book. We just can kind of put it on the bookshelf. But to me, that book really did, um, you know, that was a life-changing experience. And you said, what, you know, you asked me to go back to something that set me on this course. I guess I would say it was that book. And he just 
you know, brought up a few very, very basic things like the question of un- unlimited economic growth on a finite planet. So there's a pretty basic thing. Um, and another one of the basic things was that economics should be a tool for serving human needs um, and not, a, not an organizing principle in and of itself. So there were some really basic things there. Um, and uh, I took them to heart and have been kind of bouncing, you know, around between venture capital and social investing and philanthropy ever since. And uh, everything seems to be coming together, you know, under the banner of slow money in a, in a kind of a, a way that I never could have anticipated. Let's talk about the idea itself. You, all of this crystallized over a long period of time, as you suggest. What is the slow money movement? Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, we didn't set out to start a, quote, movement, unquote. Uh, and there is definitely something about the the words slow money, the, the, the idea the way we're doing this, that, that elicits that, that word almost immediately. Uh, the very first time I spoke in public, right when the book just came out, you know, I gave a talk and the word movement just came out all over the place. And, uh, and I'll be quite honest, you know, I didn't have a clue what that meant or what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what slow money is is two things, though. It's pretty, pretty simple to summarize. One, one, it's a new way of thinking about the relationship between money, culture, and the soil. So we could obviously talk a lot about what that means, but it is just a, it's a it's a new way of thinking about those things, and that way seems to be resonating with a lot of people. And then secondly, it's a it's a network of investors, donors, and entrepreneurs around the country who are committed to increasing the funding to local food systems. So both of those things um, have lots of aspects to them, but that's but it is it is a way of, a new way of thinking and a network. Woody, uh, from talking to you both offline and I'm sure going forward in this segment, you're involved predominantly, as I, if I have this right, with the, uh, the focal point, the food markets and food sheds is a focal point for much, if not all, of the work you're doing around slow money. What is it about the food ecosystem that's so important when we talk about the idea of slow money and bringing this to a sort of a tangible, practical level? Sure. Well, um implied in your question is it's not just about food, right? The idea of, let's say, reimagining the relationship between money, culture, and the soil, let's say, it's about, it's about a lot more than just food. Uh, and obviously, one of the reasons I'm, you know, we're doing the show today is not just because of the word slow money, but because of what happened in the global economy over the last couple of years that's created a whole different context for people to talk about money. Yes. So it is, it is ultimately about a lot more than food. We start with food, and, and we are focused as, a, as an alliance on food because uh, I, I think food is uniquely um, able to focus our our emotions and thoughts um, and put us in a new relationship to one another on the planet. It's very it's very hard to organize around, let's say, carbon in the atmosphere. No matter no matter how concerned we are about it, it's pretty hard to get people to really um, you know mobilize themselves in a very tangible and and, and proactive way about that. Food is is different. You know, you put it in your in your mouth several times a day. Um, there's literally a visceral, you know, there's a, literally a visceral component to it. It goes into your body, and whether people focus on it or not, they, they somewhere in the back of their minds they realize this is their relationship to the planet every day is, is kind of coming through food. So they, there's a lot more to it than just that. But I would also just add quickly: the name Slow Money really came to me from Slow Food. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the slow food movement. We talk about movement, and we are both part of, let's say, the even broader slow movement, if you want to call it that. But slow food certainly being the organization that really put the idea of slow into the modern consciousness. And what's beauty, beautiful about slow food is 
that it's not really so much an advocacy organization against this, against GMOs, against fertilizer, against loss of biodiversity, all these different things. It's really more a, a celebration. It's a very positive thing about connecting consumers to farmers and celebrating you know, artisan food production and heirloom varieties and biodiversity. It's a very celebratory thing, and it's very rich in culture. It doesn't always come through in all those manifestations, particularly in the U.S., because we're the culture of fast food here. But, but looked at overall, looked at internationally, it's a really beautiful movement. So for all of those reasons, you know, at Slow Money, we're really focused on, uh, let's say, food as the primary reconnector of investors um, to the places where they live. We're visiting with Woody Tosh. He's uh, the founder of the Slow Money Alliance, that website, www.slowmoneyalliance.org. You've set forth some principles, the principles of slow money. Uh, there are, I believe, six of them. Uh, would it be useful to kind of walk through them, maybe a, a quick tour of, of each one and, and quickly sort of summarize what they stand for and what they mean? Well, I think we can just take a couple of them. But basically, the, the principles are, in a sense, a crystallization of my book in, in you know, a short page, basically. Yes. And the book is called Inquiries into the Nature of Slow Money for a reason. It's not a dogmatic, you know, it's, ne- it's neither, you know, a, a hard dogma nor a, a manual of how to do every step of this. It's really an, invita- it's an, yeah. an invitation to reflect on some very fundamental questions and just reflecting on the questions leads us in a in a new direction and and of course we have partial answers to some of the questions but so the principles are an invitation to begin thinking about things differently the first one just says we must bring money back down to earth now you know we could talk about that for an hour we could talk about it for a few minutes um, what does that mean bringing money back down to earth i'm just going to not even going to explicate that one i'm just going to go to the last one perfect and the, and the last one the sixth one quotes uh, paul newman and this was a, this was actually a very moving thing to me, um, reading Paul Newman's obituary in the New York Times the day after he died. And it was a full-page article. It wasn't really an obituary. It was a feature story on the life of Paul Newman. Yeah. And the last sentence in the, in the article, the full page in the New York Times, that's a lot of words, got to the end, and he said, like someone once said, we need to be more like the farmer who puts back into the soil what he takes out. And that's, that was the last sentence in Paul Newman's life story in the New York Times. And I thought, my Lord, that's what he wants to be remembered as, that sentence. And um, there's so much wisdom in that sentence for our, our time. And, of course, his company, you know, Newman's Own, has, is iconic in kind of redesigning the relationship between profit-making and charity because um, it, it's given away something like, I think, they're up to maybe $250 million over the last 20 years or so. Yeah, yeah. So it's really an amazing story. Now, everybody can't do that, but he, he could and he did, and it's a beautiful thing. So that idea of putting back in into the soil what we take out is, to me, the mantra for, for our future. Um, we, we've had a couple of centuries of industrial economics that was designed around extraction, throughput, economic growth, innovation, all these different things. And regardless of how you feel about how it did, you know, whatever scorecard you want to give it, we can just say the world circumstances are different in the 21st century than they were in the preceding couple of centuries. And now we've got to shift our mode towards restoration and preservation. And a, and a way of saying that is that we have to put back in as much as we take out. And so, so the, the principles are, there, there are six of them. They're all around the same theme of getting people to start rethinking in a fundamental way. I would, I would actually even say feeling, which is a funny thing to say when you're talking about investing. But feeling 
that there, that there actually could be a different way, you know, reimagining how we can use our money. Yes, we have to invest it. We want to invest it in businesses. We want to support small food enterprises. These are, these are small businesses. Yes. But we want to do it in a way that puts back in as much as we take out. Well, I love the idea, and you've got three other questions here on the information I'm looking at. What would the world be like if we invested 50% of our assets within 50 miles of where we live? What if new generations of companies that gave away, that, that, that could give away 50% of their profits? What's, what if we approached business with the idea that it would be a 50-50 split, the symmetrical split between extraction and giving back? Really extraordinary visions. Well, and there's a third one. Let's just add it while we're talking. Is what would the what, uh, what if there was fifty percent more organic matter in our soil fifty years from now? Yes. And those three fifty fifties, they're like sub bullets under that Newman's quote in the sixth principle. And again, these, we we end with questions, right? Because we're we're trying to awaken our imagination and begin moving in a new Absolutely. direction. Absolutely. Say we have all the answers. Yes. So. So let's just go through those in order just very quickly. The 50, Please. What, what would the world look like if we invested 50% of our assets within 50 miles of where we live? That question came to me oh, a bunch of years ago as a, just a kind of a, it's almost like a, like a Quaker query or a Zen koan of investing. You know, there's, um, obviously, well, I should, maybe I shouldn't say obviously. Let's say no time soon are we going to be investing 50% of our assets within 50 miles of where we live. Okay. But, but, it's, but, it's, but if you think about that for a second, as an investor, if you say that question in a group of venture capitalists or a group of social investors, you can see something between, you know, the light bulb go on and a, a kind of a dumbfound, you know, a, 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 a quizzical but serious, you know, importantly quizzical look come on their faces. Yeah. Because it makes you realize that all of our money goes out of our accounts into portfolios with absolutely no attention to place. You know, it's, it's like in the old days, the environmentalists figured out that there was no such thing as a way. You know, when we saw the earth rising over the moon, it's like, wait, we're all on this planet. There's really no such place as a way. And in modern investors, there's no such place as here. You know, mm. we're just taught about asset classes and distant markets and risk return and all kinds of abstract securities has nothing to do with where we live. And so, of course, our places are getting degraded while markets are growing. It's not, not a big mystery. Huge so decoupling. Yep. Yeah, so that, that first question is just a way of getting people to kind of, um, you know, um, get stuck on, in a good way, this problem of the, of the, you know, the bifurcation between markets and places. The, the Newman's own one is the second one. It's what if there was a generation of companies that, that gave away 50%, and that's a, just a, a, you know, that, that's a playful but not completely nonsensical question. Meaning, if Newman's and a few others, there are a few other companies that have given away 100% of their profits, what if there was a generation that gave away 50%? Now, now we have right now a generation of companies that are giving away 1% of their top line through the 1% for Planet program that was started by Patagonia. Mm. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. There, there are actually 1,000 companies, most of them very, very small. Patagonia, I believe, is the largest one still um, that, that's committed to give away 1% of their revenues to charity. And as a, as a more aggressive stance than giving away, say, 5% of your, your earnings or, or, you know, 7.5% or 10%. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so as, as you said in your, in your setup, it's a, the idea that you would, for every dollar you take out, you'd put a dollar, give a dollar back is a much more um, reciprocal, you know, idea. Yes. And I think we are going to see companies that do this. Um, I, I think we're not there yet, but I'm... I believe we are going to see a generation of companies that do that. And the last question is taking those first two and kind of spinning it down towards the question of soil fertility. And, and in fact, 
most people don't tend to think about percentage of organic matter in the soil. But if you talk about an indicator that is very important uh, regarding our, the ultimate sustainability, of not just of our food system, but of our civilization, um, you can't take all the organic matter out of the soil and have a civilization. So um, where we are on the trajectory of degradation, you know, we can all debate it. It's not, we're not going in a good direction. And so um, the idea of saying while we think about philanthropy and while we think about local economies and these other things, actually going all the way down to the level of the soil and saying, you know, if you could wave a wand, what would be the organizing principle? The principle would be that 50 years from now we want there to be more organic matter in the soil, not less. We've talked about the principles um, uh, behind the work that you're doing. At slowmoneyalliance.org, what specifically, uh, what activities are you engaged in now to bring this, um, the message? And actually, on a tactical level, what's happening with Slow Money Alliance? Tell us what's going on. Well, we're doing several things. Um, We... uh Rather than starting with the idea of raising a fund, which is kind of the venture capital model, yeah, well, yeah. Um, meaning we would raise 50 or $100 million and invest in a portfolio of small food enterprises and, yeah. and demonstrate a certain rate of return and maybe work with a couple of dozen high net worth investors, we, we, we actually started thinking we might go in that direction. And because of that movement word, it very quickly we very quickly realized something else was going on here. So, so, so to answer your question, here's what we're doing. We have just launched, after many months of um, preparation, a campaign using uh, all the media at our disposal to get a million Americans to sign the slow money principles by the end of next year, by the end of of, uh, 2011. Wow. Um, That's our two-year, it's a little less than two years, that's a goal. Then by the end of the five years, we want to have a million members of the Slow Money Alliance. I'll talk about that uh, a tad more in a second. Good. And then um, our ultimate objective here is that within a decade or, or by, by the end of this um, next 10-year period, we'd like to have a million Americans investing 1% of their money directly in local food systems. So, um, and obviously that would not be coming through us. We just want to be the catalyst for that. Now, um, if, we get to our sec- if we get to our first objective, the million signers of the principles, we, a lot of good things will happen. We will be a a new and strong voice on the national scene, both in philanthropy, investing in public policy, um, advocating for for, um, supporting local food systems. If we get to the second goal, the the million members, um, these would be a million people sending us 25 or 50 or more dollars a year uh, as members of the alliance. We would have a stream of 25 to 50 or more million dollars a year to use as seed capital to invest in local food systems around the United States. This would be a major innovation in philanthropy. It would be a sea change in, in certain aspects of philanthropy, and it would also be a major increase in the amount of funding available for local food systems. That's both good and bad news. It's really more bad news than good news, because the point is there's only uh, right now about $50 million a year of philanthropy going to support sustainable agriculture in the U.S., which is a tiny number, and it's all going to NGOs. It's going to nonprofits. We would be creating a flow of similar order of magnitude, so it's, let's say, doubling the amount of money, but it would be, most of our money would be invested in small businesses that are building local food systems, and there's no organized source of capital for them right now. So so, so the membership uh, revenues become, I'll call it a microtransactional inflow of revenues that are then uh, organized and redistributed to the local uh, food economies. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's, I wouldn't have used those particular words, but that's okay. That, that's the basic idea. Is, okay. Is, as you say, How would you describe it? Well, I would say uh, we would be the first um, new philanthropic investment entity of our kind, meaning we would be taking nonprofit dollars and using them to invest. 
and I don't want to get into all the details of this, I'll just say sure. that if you think about how we're trying to clean up the mess of the global economy, meaning take philanthropy, take the what's left over that people want to give away, and, and putting that into pools where then the income is taken and given to nonprofits, it's an extremely inefficient and sort of end of pipe way of trying to clean up the mess. What, what I think we really need to do now is we need to create new flows of capital for all the, the new businesses, the small companies that are building a restorative economy, and that requires a new kind of investment capital. Okay. So, so, um, but, you, you know, there are a lot of different words you could put on this. Some people are saying it's like a form of microenterprise, and yes, we can have that discussion. Some people are calling it a new form of social investing. We can have that discussion. Okay. But, but I think the bottom line is we want to get a lot of Americans chipping in in a new way to start rebuilding local food systems. But I, wanna, wanna, I don't want to end these few sentences without going to the final objective, which is ultimately everything I've just described, the principles and the memberships, is just a catalyst. We're just trying to be a catalyst. Where we want to get is a robust system of local funds and intermediaries and clubs. It's the whole series of things at the local level that will connect local investors directly to their local food systems with as little intermediation as possible. And that, that's really... That's what we desperately need, not just in the food system, but in the economy as a whole. Mm. And I love the idea of the disintermediation, We're really making it direct. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, there are some big themes here. Disintermediation is a big, clunky word, but it is actually what we're, what we're all talking about here. Why, does, why is Washington broken? Why is Wall Street broken? Because they're so big and so complicated. These are massive intermediaries. These yes. are places where money collects, and then lots of experts and politicians figure out what to do with it, and guess what? We don't like mostly what they do with it. It's just, it's just, it, it's too disconnected from how we want to live our lives on a daily basis. It's too big, it's too complicated. So disintermediation is a big, big theme, and I think um, so many of the things that are going on right now, um, even tea parties, if you want to bring that up, even you know, political protests, is all about being disgusted by how, how corruption, inefficiency, ineptitude, special interests, all these different words, all become integral to the system when it becomes so big and so concentrated, whether it be in Wall Street or Washington, they're both equally broken. Yes. Okay. So, Woody, you've got an event coming up shortly that we should all know about. Please tell us. Uh, sure. Uh, we are having our second national gathering um, uh, in Shelburne Farms, Vermont, which is a spectacular site on the shores of Lake Champlain on uh, June 9th to 11th. We're expecting uh, several hundred people there. We've got uh, everyone from Bill McKibben to Joel Salatin, Elliot Coleman, um, and a whole bunch of other folks of equal caliber. Chris Martinson, who's, um, whose crash course has been getting a lot of um, play lately, uh, coming to be with us um, um, as, we ha- as we take this national discussion forward. And we'll also have representatives of about a dozen regions around the United States that are starting to explore slow money um, at the regional level. Oh, very cool. So that's June 9th through 11th. We're sitting here together uh, just about the beginning of April 2010. For those listening in the long tail, you can get more information about Slow Money Alliance at that website, www.slowmoneyalliance.org. Woody Tash has been our guest. Woody, thanks so much for joining us. Anything else we should know? The the Slow Money Alliance website is where you can sign, and we uh, the, the objective here is a million signers of the principles of slow money. Correct. So thank you for, for uh, reminding us of that. So slowmoneyalliance.org. Obviously, we're going to use the Internet heavily, you know, in this program. But, uh, you know, we are combining real relationships on the ground in regions all around the United States with the Internet. This is not just an Internet play by any stretch of the imagination. So 
The two things people can do to get involved right now are sign the principles on our website, and secondly, um, look at the slow money letter, the first issue of our newsletter that's also on the website that um, will tell them what's going on in different regions around the United States, and hopefully there's something starting to happen near where we're some of our listeners are. Fantastic. One more time, www.slowmoneyalliance.org for more information. Woody Tash has been our guest. He's the founder of the Alliance, the Slow Money Alliance. Thanks so much for joining us, Woody. All right, thanks, David. Small Biz America. The Brain. Online at smallbizamerica.com. Small Biz. Small Biz America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.